Thankful that you're here. Good to have guests with us. It's great to feel the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for the blessings of God. Amen. It's Bible study night, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a journey through the Word for a little while. I hope you brought a Bible. I hope you don't just rely on your electronic device because it might fail, but this one has never failed me. This one right here has never failed me. I'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to that. I, I like a book in my hand. I'm thankful for this book. And if you will, turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to read beginning with verse number 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 1, and it reads like this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, everybody say we, even so we, When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. Interesting statement. Under the elements of this world. According to the thinking of this world. That was the influence over our life. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son. There's some growing up. There's some maturing that takes place. And in that maturing process, something happens that transforms life. And it is the transforming factor of life. And it goes back to a reference that Paul made in verse number 3 about being under the elements of the world. We were under the influence of the thinking, the material thinking of the world. But as a child of God, born again, We have a different mindset now. There's a different governing principle to what we do. Colossians chapter 2. If you would journey with me a little further. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 8. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you. The word spoil is a very interesting word that we probably understand more than we think we do, but in its original form, it literally meant to rob somebody, to take something from them that was of value. So don't let any man spoil you, how? Through philosophy and vain deceit, or after that material way of thinking, that world mindset. Don't let that spoil you. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not 
after Christ. And everybody said amen. Well, we want to go on a journey tonight. I want to give you, if I have no better title, I'll just call it a Christian outlook on life. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Good to see my brother home tonight. If I'd have known he was going to be here, I would have had him preaching to you tonight. We live in an hour when it is often hard to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. I don't mean just in appearance. I mean in philosophies and ways of life. The lines that separate uh, or the lines that delineate, I should say, are vanishing. As a matter of fact, there is a large part of professing Christianity that is suspect because what is being said and what is being lived are two different things. Grace is a wonderful thing, but it has been used to disguise and cover up man's desire to be man and not do the will of God. The Bible speaks about grace as being a teacher. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12 says that grace teaches us that there is a denying of things, ungodliness, worldly lust, that kind of thing, separating ourselves from those things. But the fact is, that though we are free, we are living in a grace dispensation, we are not without a law in our life. And that's what I really want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about a governing principle that no matter where you are or what you're facing, it will help you make right decisions. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church in the first book of Corinthians, the ninth chapter in verse 21, makes this statement. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. So I live not under an Old Testament law, but I live under the law to Christ. And there is in that law an evidence and a proof of identity. There is an evidence that I am truly what I say I am. The Bible speaks of us as being witnesses unto him. What are we witnesses of and what are we witnesses to? And what differentiates between a Christian or a non-Christian, a believer and a non-believer? There are many ways that Christianity can be described and has been described. It has been described in terms of organization. It has been described in terms of theology. It has been, ter- it has been described in terms of ethical principles. But more than anything, I believe the way of life, is really the best way to describe a true child of God. That it is a way of living. It is a way of conducting your life. Galatians 
2 and 20, Paul spoke of the life that I now live. That statement infers that there was a time that he lived a different life. But now he lives under the influence of grace and God's mercy. And so the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so this way of living is something that we need to look at often. And more important than just a way of living, I believe the real secret to the way of living is the way of thinking. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I believe the real key to living the overcoming life begins in the mind. It begins in the influence of the mind. It begins in the thoughts. And there in the influence of those thoughts, there is a direction that is given to my life or there is a bent that is given to my life. And Paul addresses that in the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter He said that before you became a Christian, you were enslaved to a material way of looking at things. You were enslaved to a material way of thinking. But now that you have been born again, you have a different mind that governs your thoughts. Certainly when we look at being a child of God There should be some things that are understood completely. Number one, we should not nor do not act like the world. We should not. That's just a simple fact that if I am a child of God, I am not going to identify as a child of the devil. So there is in that itself an understanding. But even more important, we do not and should not Think like the world, not just act like the world. We should not think like the world. And the difference between those who think like the world and those who think like the Lord would want them to think is the difference between the real and the not so real. The difference in their lives is due to the way of thinking that had changed for them. They used to think this way. Now their thoughts are governed by something else. And how they look at life is influenced by something else. They used to see life in a certain perspective. But now that the Spirit of God has come into their life, they look at things in a different light. And in the world in which we live, I think this is becoming more and more important because the lines every day that we live, the lines between right and wrong, good and evil are being blurred. And there is a difficult time uh, at, at times to figure out, is this good or is this bad? Is this going to bless me or is this going to hurt me? You see... In the Scripture, there are not always given to us every detail about every matter of conduct in life. The Lord did not address every issue that you and I would run into in life. He didn't address everything that we would have to face. But He did leave us principles. He did leave us 
scriptural understanding that if we would allow that to become the mind through which we think and we would let that become the lens through which we look at life and we view life, it would change us inwardly as well as outwardly. The Bible does not legislate in detail for every matter of conduct that might arise, but it does give us principles that should govern everything that we do. And if they are correctly applied, it doesn't matter what we are facing. You can know the right thing to do and the thing to stay away from. You see, holiness is an issue that gets confused in some people's mind. Some people are of the opinion that holiness is something that they wear, when in reality, holiness is something that we should be. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. There are a lot of people that know how to dress up the outside and the inside has never been taken care of. So holiness is something that has to begin inwardly. It has to start with the mind and the heart. And, it, and when you start looking at life through this lens and you let this lens become what you use to determine right and wrong, good or evil, not whatever conventional wisdom says, not whatever the latest political poll says, not whatever political party is in presidency or power, but you let this word become the lens through which you look at life and how you judge matters of the heart and of your life. When you let this book become the direction of your life, then you are truly making decisions that are based on things that will bring blessing into your life. I learned a long time ago as a preacher and as a pastor that you cannot legislate holiness. Holiness has to be something that's understood from the inside out. And so I've spent a great deal of my time trying to get people to look at life through this lens. Because if you'll look at life through this lens, you won't argue about a lot of things. You just accept them because that's what the Word said and that's how I want to live my life. So I want this Word to become the lens, not... Whatever the lead, last leading poll, you know, I, I, I'm humored sometimes, and I've almost got to the place where I don't even want to go on it anymore, but I'm humored at how fickle our culture is, and every day the, the critical issues that come to the surface, especially on Yahoo. I promise you, go home tonight or tomorrow, look at Yahoo or AOL or whatever your preferred search engine is, and count on the leading page. Count the number of issues that really have to do with the real matters of life and then the ones that have to do with the Kardashians or some of the other people of this world that, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It, I looked the other day and the majority of the things that scrolled up on my computer for the news of the day didn't have anything to do with real issues of life. And I'm thinking, that's the world we live in. And so you've got people that are using that as a lens through which they view life. 
you know, whatever, whatever the Internet says. I mean, it's got to be true if it's on the Internet. Isn't that what they say? The trouble is anybody can put anything on the Internet, and it takes a long time to decipher whether or not it's real or, or is that true? Did I mean, they told me that saccharin was good for me. Now they're telling me it's bad for me. They told me that coffee was bad for me. Now they're telling me that it's good for me. I hope that's true, but I don't know. I, you know, if you look through that lens, your, your whole life is going to change every day. I mean, it's... It's going to be like the weather vane in Houston. You know, it's hot and humid one day. It's cold the next day. You don't know whether you're washing or hanging out to dry. You just, that, that's because the lens that you're using to look at life through is obscured. It's, it's a little fuzzy. It's, it's, it's a little messed up because it comes from such a low place. It comes from such a low perspective. So, what I want to do is, is let this become, this is what I've tried to do all of my life. Let this, not a denomination, not, not, not what somebody else says, but what does this book say about it? And so when I let the book speak to me, it speaks very clearly to me. And when I let it speak to me, it helps me in every area of my life. I don't have to wonder, well, can I go there or should I go there? There's a lot of places I've learned that I can go in life that I just don't need to go. There's a lot of things in life I've learned that I could say that I've also learned that I probably shouldn't say. And where did I learn that from? I I didn't learn that from somebody with the rod beating me over the head saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But I learned that from looking through this lens. And, And when I look through this lens, the way it presents life and how life ought to be lived to its best I mean, we've got AOL telling us how to live life to the best. And AOL just came into existence a few years ago. How long ago did AOL come along? 20 years ago? 25 years ago? And now they're an expert, AOL, Yahoo. They're an expert on life. This book's been around for thousands of years. It's been around for a long time. I would say I would much prefer to get with something that's been here longer than the latest trend and see, okay, there is a way to live. There is a way to have your life governed. There is a way to have your life influenced so that you can move in a right way and in a great direction. So, Here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to give you six things that you can use as a lens through which to judge life. And you can determine from these things whether or not it's good, bad. I mean, you don't have to go through and say, okay, now does it say you can't do, you can't smoke pot? Does it say that in there? Does it, well, it doesn't say don't smoke pot, so maybe I can smoke pot. I'm just being facetious, but, I, you know, you can put anything in there. Now, then, so here's what we're going to do. Let's, let's start in the book of Luke, the 11th chapter, part of a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples who had asked him about being taught how to pray. And so he says to them, this, when you pray, this is how, this, is, this ought to be the pattern. Not that you repeat it, but this is the pattern of your prayer. And in verse 
4 of chapter 11 in Luke, part of that prayer was, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So the first question that I need to ask myself when it comes to questionable things in life or things that, is it going to be good for me or not going to be good to me? The first question that I need to stop and ask myself is where will it lead me? Everybody say, where will it lead me? Where is it going to lead me? What kind of road is it going to take me down? What does it expose me to? Now, if it's going to lead me to him, then certainly I should follow. But if it leads me other directions, then even though it may not be wrong, I'm wasting my time and my energy if I pursue that path if it's not bringing me closer to Him. Will this strengthen me or will it weaken me? Listen to me. Any place or any practice that tends to make sin less sinful needs to be shunned. If it makes light of sin, it's a good indication it's leading you in the wrong way. Do you know why... We have come to a culture now that pretty much, I, I am embarrassed sometimes when you sit and, uh, you know, commercials come on and I'm thinking, oh my Lord have mercy. When I grew up, my mama would have run me out of the room. That just would you just, and we laugh about that now. Everybody's open. Everybody talks about everything. But our openness has not made us a better culture, and it's not made us a better people. All it has done is made us more susceptible to the deceitful lies that can be perpetrated from the pit of hell about life. And because we're so open now, and everything's talk, you talk about everything, my question is, where is it going to lead me? There's even, you know, there's, there's even probably some jokes that don't need to be told because they lead me in the wrong direction. There are conversations that I don't need to get involved in because they will lead me in the wrong direction. So the question that I need to ask when I am up against it and I don't it, should I do this or should I not do it? Number one, where is it going to lead me? Is it going to take me closer to Him or will it take me further away from Him? Will I feel more of God when I do it or will I feel less of God when I do it? Number two, what will it make of me if I do this? What will it make of me or what is it making of me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I told you at Bible study night, so get your Bibles out. We're going to take a journey. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12. Throw it up on the, on the screen there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. And get your Bibles open if you can. If you're quick enough, get it open. But there, there, there's something in the Word that needs to speak to us about what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12 said, All things, everybody say all things. 
all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. The word expedient means helpful. Helpful. So the question that I need to make myself, ask myself is, what does it tend to? There are things that are lawful for me, but they are not helpful for me. If it becomes my master and I become its slave, then I don't need to do it. And you say, well, really, use. How do I know if something has mastered me or not? Just try to do without it about a week. Oh, my Lord. I'll never forget a few years ago we had a media fast. Anybody remember that? Oh, my Lord. I could have had them cut their throat and bleed out here on the carpet, and they would have been ready to do that quicker than they would to be on a media fast. Our lives are governed by the electronic age. The question is, what is the master of my life? And if what I'm doing is getting such a hold on me that it, that it becomes the master and I can't live without it. I mean, first thing I got to do is hit Facebook in the morning when I get I got to find out what everybody's talking about. I gotta get, I'm, I'm going to get real nasty and metal. <laughs> I'm, not against, I'm not preaching against it. I'm just saying that when you let those things become your master, they are leading you and making of you not a son, but a slave. And if there's anything in my life, whether it's Dr. Pepper or Coke, that I just cannot live without, I mean, you've got to have that first thing in the morning. I, I'm just kidding, or I know some of you like Dr. Pepper and Coke. But if something becomes my master, I need to learn how to let it go. Amen. Legitimate things can demand so much time that we neglect the more needful things in life. They can become so demanding. How can I tell if it is master? How long can you go without it? Do I neglect more important things so I can indulge in it? That's a way of looking at life. What is this going to make of me? Is it going to make me a greater slave? Am I going to be more bound? Am I going to be more addicted? I mean, we've got all kind of addictions nowadays, not just cocaine and crack. We've got, there's a lot of, uh, we get so hooked, we just, we've got to have it. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what is this going to make of me? Everybody say, what's it going to make of me? I knew you were going to love this tonight. I just knew it when I started preparing it a couple of weeks ago. Number three, what does it look like? What, what does it look like? Cutting through the veneer, cutting through the facade, what does it really look like? First John chapter 2 and verse number 16. First John chapter 2. And verse number 16, it said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So John mentions two things here that are diametrically opposed. The world 
of God and the world of the world. It is the mindset of a, of a culture. And if a man love the world, he cannot love the Father. So the question that I need to ask myself is, what does this look like? Does this look like more like my Father or does it look more like the world in which I live in? Does it look more like my God or does it look more like the culture that I'm a part of? Good question. It might not be sin, but it could be a weight and it could stop me. It could slow me. It could hinder me. It could drag me down. And things that hinder are not always necessarily low and vulgar. But the question that I need to ask myself is what does it look like? Does it look like something that God would be connected to? Does it look like something that God would participate in? Does it look like Him or does it not look like Him? If our participation in this thing dims our vision of God and His purpose for our life, then we should leave it and go away. If it makes us less determined to live for Him, then we certainly should lay it down. But what does it look like? Everybody say, what does it look like? Does it look like something that we would associate with God? Or does it look like something we would associate with the world? And if it's that which we associate with the world, then I don't have to have somebody stand over me and say, Thou shalt not do that. Looking through this lens helped me. You know what? I just don't need that. That's not the direction that I need to take my life. Because that's not going to be where the blessings of God are found in my life. Number four, 1 Corinthians, back to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the question that I need to ask myself is that if, if I do this, if, if I do this, will this bring glory to God? Can I do it and hope that nobody finds out that I did it? Can I do it and not have to hunker down in the seat to do it? Can I do it and lift my head up and say, this thing is going to honor God in what I do. I'm going to find a way to honor God in this effort. This is a good question to ask. Where does this action terminate? Will it terminate in self or God? And the answer to that question will be the determining factor of whether you do it or not. Everybody say, will it bring glory to God? Amen. Say, will it bring glory to God? Number four, number five, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Paul again says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. The question that I need to ask myself is, will it benefit me to do it? Will I be better off by doing it? Will it help me? Will it help me in my witness? 
Will it help me in my service to God? Will it help me be a more effective Christian in my walk with Him? Will it benefit me? Will it benefit me? Everybody say, will it benefit me? And last but not least, same verse, Paul said, is it lawful? Maybe lawful, but it may not be expedient. It may not be edifying. So the last question that I need to ask myself is, is it constructive? When I get through doing this, am I going to be stronger for having done this? When I get through participating in this, will I be a better man or will you be a better woman? Will you be a better saint? Will you be a better child of God? Will you, better, will you be a better citizen in your community? Is it for the good of others and for the good of mankind? Certainly there are a lot of things that could be listed under that category. But the question is, is it constructive? When it's all said and done, is it working toward a better me or a better world or a better family or a better life? Does it build up? Everybody say edify. I love that word. Build up. If it's not making me better, then probably I just need to stay away from it. Amen. If it's not helping me to be stronger, then I don't need to do it. You see, I don't have to have a preacher standing over me all the time saying, well, you know, that's not something you ought to do. All I need to do is just go through a little checklist. All right, is this going to glorify God? Is, is this needful? Do I, do I have to do it? There's a lot of things in life that, are, that, that, that you can do, but is it needful to do that? Is it... Is it necessary to do it? I, I loved, I was at school the other day with Callie, and they had a sign on the wall that said, Think. I thought, ah, I wish I could get people to do that. Because if people would think, if they would just take a moment to think, you wouldn't have to have a preacher or a Sunday school lesson beating you over the brain. You, you Think. The word T is for true. Is it true? If it's not true, then don't say it. Don't associate yourself with untruth. And don't take it from somebody else that it's true just because they say it. Check it out. Is it true? Number two, H stands for honest, helpful, holy. Does it make things better? Is it clean? If it would be true, but it would not be helpful you would be better off not to say it or do it. There's a lot of things in life that I've learned that were true, but it didn't help me to say anything about it. Everybody say, is it helpful? I is for inspiring. Is it fair? Is it just? What does it, what does it produce? That which calls forth love, that which calls forth attractiveness and loyalty. What good will come out of it if you do it or say it? Is it inspiring? Will people be blessed by it if you do it? In is for necessary. Is it necessary? There's a lot of things in life that I've found are true. And there are a lot of things in life that I've found that are 
honest, but they are not always necessary for me to say it or do it. Just because you know it doesn't mean you have to say it. You know, you don't ever have to repent repent over something you don't say. You don't ever have to say, I'm sorry for something that you didn't say. You don't have to say, I'm sorry for something that you didn't do. So is it necessary? There are many unnecessary battles in life. And people that get involved in them every day. They're, 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 they're wasting energy over molehills when they've got mountains to climb. I mean, they go to seed on petty things. Is it necessary? K, is it kind? What kind of thing will it lead to? A good report? A gracious, fair look at life? Connecting to the holy silence of the beginning of sacrifice is what was inferred by a good report in Scripture. When, when Paul or, or when... Uh, yes, when Paul was writing to the Philippians, he said, if there be any virtue, if there be any, anything honest or trustworthy, he said, if there's a good report, the word good report there comes from a word that has inference all the way back to the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And it represented that holy silence when somebody brought their sacrifice before the Lord and the priest took the sacrifice and in that time of offering it, that silence that went on while the blood was being spilt and the, the sacrifice was being made, that good report is what that word was referring back to. There is a connection to holiness that when you do this thing, that there's going to be an aura about it. There's going to be a feeling about it that this, this is right. This is the thing for me to do. This is where I need to go. This is how I need to lead my family. If I could get everybody in this building to just think a little bit, what a difference it would make in our life. But there's a difference. The worldview is not the view that I need for my life. I need the Bible view. I need the Scripture view. I need the Word of God to become the lens through which I look at life. And so it doesn't matter if they legislate, and I've said this before, whatever they legislate, they can make everything right. They could make everything that's illegal legal tomorrow. But that doesn't mean because it's legal that I should do it. What does this book have to say about it? Is this going to help me? Is this going to make me stronger? Is this going to make me more like him? Is it going to make me resemble him? I cannot get away from what the scripture said. And I'm closing. When in Acts, when they came to Antioch, the Bible said it was there at Antioch that they were first called Christians. They, they called them that. Antioch people didn't call themselves that. The people on the outside looking in said, you know who they remind me of? They remind me of that Jesus guy that we heard so much that disturbed our country. and did so. They remind me of that one, that prophet that, that was crucified. When they looked in, and sometimes I ask myself, 
What does the world see when they look at me? Do they look at me and see just another one of them, or do they see something in me that's different? You know, it's not just the way that you dress. It's the attitude and the spirit of your whole life. There's something about a child of God that no matter where you are, there ought to be something in your spirit that resonates who you are. And that when you come to that fork in the road, you're not like Yogi Bear and take it. You can't have it both ways. And many times we're being brought to a fork in the road. And you say, well, is it okay to do this or is it not? Well, Brother Hughes, is it okay if I do this? You don't need to call me. And all you need to do is just get this book out and start looking through this lens right here. And this lens will answer those questions. Is it going to benefit you? Is it going to make you more like him? Is it going to look like him? Does it smell and taste like him? If it doesn't, then that answers my question. I don't need to, I don't have to have somebody standing over me and say, well, no, you don't need to do that anymore. There's something in this book that guides me and it leads me. Is it, is it helpful? Is it going to make me a stronger person? Is it going to make me a better person? And when I start looking at life through that lens, I didn't always look at life that way. According to what Paul said, I looked through life, I looked at life through a different lens. I looked at it in a material way or an earthly or a carnal or a fleshly way. I weighed things out in that scale. And if, if, you know, if everybody was doing it, I did it. If everybody was okay with it, then I was okay with it. But when I became a child of God, when I was born again of the water and of the Spirit, something happened. My mind began to be transformed because when I started looking through this lens, all of a sudden things that had been told to me that were okay, they, they didn't jive. They didn't connect with what this book said I should do or act or be like or speak of as a child of God. And so those things begin to govern my life. What a difference it would make if we would just take this word and let it be the lens. Should I do it or should I not? Hey, right here is the answer. Amen. Everybody say the answer. It still works. Stand on your feet right now if you would. Amen. The difference between life and death between victory and defeat, the law of life, the meaning of life, all of that can be found in the way that we look at life, the lens through which we look at life. I'm thankful that a long time ago somebody took me to an old book and taught me to make this the friend of my life. When you don't know what to do, just get into this book because it will help you. It'll tell you what to do. When you don't know what to say, get into this book. It'll tell you what to say. When you don't know what to think, get into this book. It'll tell you what to think. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Really, use I don't know, should I do that or should I not? I, oh, there it is right there. 
what is it going to look like if I do that? Is it going to look more like him or less like him? Answer my question. I don't need to do it. Amen. Pretty simple. Amen. Amen. Reach out to the Lord right now and pray. God, help us tonight to take this word, hide it down deep in our heart. God, somehow make the word the lamp to our feet and the light to our path that you want it to be. That whatever we do, whatever we say, is governed by the word. Not our passions, not other influences, but just this word, rightly divided in my life, governing, leading, directing everything about my life.